Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. A little bird tells me that you haven't been too good, though, the last uh, week or so. We've had the plague. Oh, no. <laughs> we have all... been a COVID household. All of you. Oh, dear. All four of us. So, yes, it was my birthday on Wednesday. It was um, it, it was not the happiest birthday I've had. No. <laughs> I couldn't really taste anything or and felt pretty rough. But I did get a three hour nap. So that's that's not terrible. But yeah, we've 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 all felt a bit rough this week. But I'm 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 through the other side. I'm testing negative now. Rich is still feeling rough, still testing positive. Toby's still feeling a bit rough. We've not tested him again. Otto's still feeling a bit rough. So yeah. I was a couple of days ahead of all of them, though. So hopefully over the next few days, they'll all kind of catch me up on the uh, uh, So you're probably the, uh, you're the one that introduced it to the household, probably. I think it was me. Yes, I'm pretty oh, confident okay. it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I know so many people at the moment that have got it yeah. more now. I, I thought it was bad in the summer. Um, when I was hearing yeah, about people, including myself, <laughs> who yeah, had it yeah, back course, in August, yeah. but at the moment, there's so many people I'm hearing about that have got yeah. it. Um, it's it's everywhere at the moment. Yeah, but yes, it's it's been a bit of a week, but we're um, through the other side. Well, I'm glad you're you're feeling better now, and hopefully the the boys won't be far behind you. I know, fingers crossed. Any true crime news this week, Phoebe? There's been quite a lot this week, actually. I think. There's been a couple of murders and bodies found in houses and things like that. But there was a piece of news that I'm not sure if you picked up on that I was very interested in. And it was more of a kind of article. I think it was in the Metro, actually, but I picked it up on Twitter. I'm not um, about this guy in America who has got is it 139 people cryogenically frozen in a lab. Um, what? And it's yeah, it's all these people who basically have they they weren't dead when they died they were kind of near to death with terminal okay. illnesses <laughs> they weren't dead when they died they were, they were kind <laughs> of very near to death with terminal illnesses like ALS and certain cancer and stuff and they gave their bodies to this man who has then kind of done stuff to them and basically cryogenically frozen them in these big silver barrels yeah. And he said that, you know, they're not, they're they're patients because they're still alive, technically. But because they're frozen, they've got, like, no metabolism. So everything's, like, stopped. So they're just kind of keeping them in this cryogenically frozen state until they can bring them back to life. I think it's kind of been poo-pooed by doctors because, well, as soon as any sort of kind of ice crystal goes into the brain, that's it, you're dead anyway. But this guy genuinely believes that he can, um, yeah, kind of bring these people back and and cure them at some point in the future. They'd have to remove all of their blood to yes. do that. I think they replace they replace it with something else. Okay. Right. Yeah, they said basically they kind of stabilize them. They stop them from getting any poorlier and then yeah. I, yeah, get I them, don't think they'll them and yeah, then yeah, bring them yeah, back yeah. to life again. Apparently. But said, yeah, hundreds, it was hundred and ninety nine people that uh, he's got on ice, including there was uh, and one of them is a baseball player called Ted Williams, who died in two thousand and two of ALS, or, I think that he had. Or didn't die. Or didn't die, yeah, sorry. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, um, interesting. This exists. It costs a minimum of $200,000 to freeze a body and 80000 for the brain alone. Okay, so, well. Yeah, that just uh, piqued my interest this week. Interesting. Well, this week's story that I'm going to uh, 
tell you about is kind of relevant to today in as much as the main protagonist of this story died last week. So this week, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you about Peter Tobin and some of the crimes, well, certainly the crimes that he was convicted of, so that you, you get a bit of a picture of, of what he was all about. And like with any of our stories, I suppose, if you find this one interesting, then you can use it as a starting place to look up more information about it, because there's plenty about him on the internet. Mm-hmm. Sure there is. Plenty. So... Peter Britton Tobin was born on the 27th of August 1946 in Johnston, Renfrewshire, and he was the youngest of seven children, and he was a difficult child. In 1953, when he was aged seven, he was sent to an approved school to deal with his behaviour, I guess, and uh, Uh, problems that he had. He later spent time in a young offenders institution. So... He didn't get off to a good start. Things always end well for young people who end up in young offenders institutions. Who we then end up talking about on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it kind of sets a, a pattern for the future, doesn't it? When these sort yeah, of things I think the happen. sort of stuff they see and the sort of things they learn in those sorts of places, especially the sort of times that Peter Tobin would have gone into a young yeah. offenders. Yeah, in the uh, early 50s. Must have been a yeah. bit rough. Yeah, I'd say so. In 1969, Tobin moved to Brighton, Sussex. So he was, what, 23, around about then? He moved down there with his then 17-year-old girlfriend, Margaret Mountney, who he then married in August of that year. But they split after a year, and she divorced him in 1971. So that didn't last more than about two years. It did not. (laughs) But in 1973, still in Brighton, he married a local nurse, 30-year-old Sylvia Jeffries. She must have been older than him. Yes. They had a son, and then they had a daughter, but sadly the baby girl died soon after birth. Now, this second violent marriage finally broke down in 1976, when she left him taking their son with her. Tobin then had a relationship with Kathy Wilson, who also gave birth to a son in December 1987. Kathy was still only 17 when Tobin married her in Brighton in 1989, so she was well, really okay. young when she had the baby. Yeah. She was 17, he was 42. Oh, no. Yeah. 17 and 23 is still a bit weird, but <laughs> all right. Sorry, 17 but and 42. 17 and 42. Mm. Um, Yeah, so they married in 1989. They had the baby two years before that. And in 1990, they moved to Bathgate in West Lothian, back into Scotland. But shortly afterwards, Cathy Wilson left Tobin and she moved back to Portsmouth, Hampshire, right down the south of England, where she had originally grown up, taking the son with her. Okay. All three of these ex-wives later gave similar accounts of how they fell for a charming, well-dressed man who then turned very violent and sadistic during their marriages. Mm -mm. In May 1991, Toby moved to Margate in Kent and then in 1993 to Havant in Hampshire to be near his younger son. 
He's doing a lot of moving around. Like these are yes, big yeah. moves. It's not just like a couple of oh, towns yeah. across. It's like all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, Scotland, Brighton, back up to Bathgate in Scotland. Yeah. Then he's moved to Margate in Kent, and now he's moved yeah. to Havant in Hampshire. So there we go. He's got three broken marriages behind him, two sons. The older son must be getting off about 20 years old by this stage. Yeah, that's and true. Yeah. The younger he's one. He's 23 when he's born. Yeah, and, and the youngest one is about six, given that he, he, the, he was born in 1987 and that we're now in 1993 when he moved back to Hampshire to be near him. Quite an age gap, isn't it? Yeah. But shortly after that, Tobin really started the slippery slope to some serious crimes. And on the 4th of August, 1993, Tobin attacked two 14-year-old girls who were babysitting his son at his flat in Havant. After holding them at knife point and forcing them to drink strong cider and vodka, he sexually assaulted and raped them. To avoid being arrested for this awful crime, Tobin went on the run and hid in a religious retreat in Warwickshire under a false name. But he was recognised and arrested after appearing on the BBC Crime Watch programme. That feels like quite an escalation from being... Yeah, it was a petty criminal. Not a very nice man, not very nice to his women. And then all of a sudden kind of going to drugging and raping two young girls. Yeah, well... These are the ones we know about. Yeah. These, yeah. This, this story is is kind of in the sequence in which his crimes were found out, as okay. as we'll see as as we as okay. we go through. On the eighteenth of May, nineteen ninety four, at Winchester Crown Court, Tobin pleaded guilty and received a fourteen year prison sentence wow. for the rape, sexual assault on these two young girls. He was released, though, in 2004, after about 10 years, and he moved back to Paisley in Renfrewshire, back across the border into Scotland. By September 2006, Peter Tobin was working as a church handyman at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church in Anderston, Glasgow, and he had assumed the name Pat McLaughlin, to avoid any detection, as he was still on the violent and sex offender register as a result of the 1994 rape Obviously, and assault. Obviously, yeah, you'd yeah. hope so. <laughs> also working at that church was a young lady called Angelica Kluck. She was a 23-year-old student from Skoczow near Krakow in Poland. Mm-hmm. She was staying at the chapel house of St. Patrick's Church, where she worked as a cleaner to help finance her Scandinavian studies course at Gdansk University. Okay. So I don't know if she'd come over to well Scotland as a sort of a summer holiday job to earn some mm-hmm. money, and then would be going back to to Poland to carry on at university. She was last seen alive in the company of Peter Tobin on the 24th of September 2006, mm-hmm. and it is thought that he attacked her in the garage attached to St. Patrick's Chapel House. Okay. She was beaten, raped, and stabbed to death. Then her cool. body was concealed in an underground chamber beneath the floor near the confessional in the church. <gasps> oh. 
Forensic evidence, when they found her body, suggested that she was still alive when she was placed under the floorboards. Oh, God. Police found her body on the 29th of September, sorry, like five days later. Yeah. In an attempt to lay low, Tobin had fled to London, where he had been admitted to hospital, or rather he admitted himself to hospital. He couldn't do that these days. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Within 10 miles of hospital, <laughs> Uh, but well, he, one way or another, he was admitted to hospital under a false name and with a fictitious okay. health complaint. Okay. So we just sort of wangled his <laughs> the way. The good into old hospital. days of two thousand. Two thousand and six. Yeah. Two thousand six. When oh, you could just walk into the NHS. Wow. So yeah, admit yourself into hospital. Following television appeals, he was recognised by a nurse. Tobin was arrested in London shortly afterwards. He was immediately apprehended on the grounds of having breached the terms of his violent and sex offender register. Well, by, by killing somebody and raping well, somebody. I'd say that, but that breaches the terms. Yeah, well, at this stage... Oh, and leaving Scotland. <laughs> whatever the terms were of being on this register, he'd broken them probably by even working or being within... Okay. I don't know, 100 yards of anyone under the age of whatever. I, I don't know what the terms were. Okay. But, yes, they were interested in catching him because of this murder of Angelica, but they couldn't charge him with that because they hadn't got enough evidence yet. But they were pretty confident. Pretty confident, yeah. <laughs> so the the grounds on which they held him was on breaking the terms of his okay. uh, parole, basically, or being on the register. Yeah, yeah. So, so while he was being held in custody... Investigations took place, which then led to a trial starting in March 2007 for the murder of Angelica Crook. So in that six months, they pulled together evidence, including forensic evidence. The trial lasted six weeks, and the main evidence was gathered under the supervision of Detective Superintendent David Remis of Strathclyde Police. And the trial took place at the High Court of Justiciary, Edinburgh. The trial judge was Lord Menzies, the prosecution was led by advocate deputy Dorothy Bain and the defence by Donald Finlay QC. Tobin denied raping and murdering Miss Crook and claimed she had consented to have sex with him. So I would imagine there was forensic evidence on her body which could be proved that came from him. Okay. Hence his claim that it was consensual. Yeah. <laughs> In May 2007, Tobin was found guilty of raping and murdering Angelica Cluck and was sentenced to mm -hmm. life imprisonment to serve a minimum of 21 years. In sentencing Tobin, Judge Lord Menzies described him as an evil man. Yep. So, simultaneous to the investigations into Angelica Cluck's murder, police started Operation Anagram. Okay. This started almost immediately after his arrest in September 2006. Okay. And it was a nationwide investigation into Tobin's life and movements. So they must have had some serious concerns about him. They must have had yep. some real m motive to want to uh, look into him. From the outset, it had to be shrouded in secrecy, Operation Anagram. Because otherwise, uh, if there had been any media leaks from it, it could have 
prejudiced the proceedings of the Klook case that was still going on right. in, in, okay. in parallel. Now, Operation Anagram was headed by DSI Swindle of Strathclyde Police. And through the Holmes 2 database, police forces across the UK were involved in the operation, investigating the possibility of Tobin's connection to dozens of murders and disappearances of teenage mm -hmm. girls and young women. DSI Swindle, speaking after Tobin's 2007 conviction for the murder of Klook, said that Tobin's age and the method of the murder sparked speculation that he may be a serial killer. Mm. It is believed that as of December 2009, detectives across the UK were following up on around 1,400 lines of inquiry. Oh my God! And it was particularly complicated because... As you pointed out earlier, Tobin had lived in so many places around the country. He had as many as 60 addresses That's <laughs> in, in his life up to now. And what is he, 60-ish? So he's born yeah, in 47. Like moved, so he's like, yeah. almost moved every year of his life. Yeah. <laughs> and he is thought to have used up to 40 aliases as well. So there oh were an God. awful lot of threads that they had to try and pull together with his various names various addresses and i think i did see some of his umpteen different phones that he had as well and as part of their inquiries police were especially interested in tracing the owners of jewelry and other items found at his various residences okay now in july 2010 so it'd been running for nearly four years yeah. it was reported that officers working on operation anagram had narrowed their review down to just nine unsolved murders and disappearances okay i, I think those were nine that they felt that they could comfortably or realistically pin on him for yeah and the operation was finally wound down in june 2011. okay yeah because they failed to identify any more victims but apparently its email address remains active <laughs> Oh, Whatever that email address is. Okay. Now, one of the cases that was pursued as a result of Operation Anagram was the murder of Vicky Hamilton. In 2007, Tobin's former home in Bathgate, West Lothian, one of his homes, one of his homes. <laughs> um, was searched by police in connection with the disappearance of the 15-year-old girl, Vicky, okay. who had last been seen on the 10th of February 1991 as she waited for a bus home to Reading near Falkirk. So this is Reading, R-E-D-D-I-N-G, as opposed okay. to the uh, the town. Yeah, it's quite a way from yeah. there. This is in 2007, and they are looking for her who disappeared in 1991. 16 years? 16 years, yeah. Now, in 1991, if you remember, that is when he moved to Margate in Kent in May of that year. Yes. So Vicky went missing in February. Okay. And he moved in May to Margate. Hmm. Yeah, so Vicky was waiting for a bus home. She'd been visiting her older sister who lived in Livingston, West Lothian, uh, and she was waiting for a change of buses in Bathgate. The last sighting of her was as she was eating chips on a bench in the town centre. Now, Tobin is believed to have left the town a few days after her disappearance. Mm. That's when he moved to Margate. On the 21st of July 2007, 
So a couple of months after his conviction for Angelica Gluck's murder, Lothian and Borders Police released a statement that they had arrested, cautioned and charged a male in connection with the murder of Vicky Hamilton. Okay. But at that stage, they did not confirm the identity of the man they'd arrested. Right. The investigation later led to a forensic search of a house in Southsea, Hampshire, in early October 2007, where Tobin is believed to have lived shortly after leaving Bathgate. But okay. we know he moved to Margate first. Right, okay. So he's been to Margate, he's been to Hampshire. Um, on November the 14th, 2007, so, yeah, not much... Um, Longer after they did the search, Lothian and Borders Police confirmed that human remains had been found in the back garden of, of number 50, Irving Drive, in Margate. No way. In Kent, once occupied by Tobin, and that they confirmed that those remains were those of Vicky Hamilton. Oh my God, so he'd taken her body all the way down to Margate with him? Yep. She was last seen in oh. Bathgate in 1991, and her remains were dug up in Margate in Kent in 2007. Oh. On the 2nd of December 2008, after a month-long trial, Tobin was convicted of the murder of Vicky Hamilton, and that case was heard at the High Court in Dundee. Tobin was again defended by Ronald Findlay QC, and the prosecution was led by the Solicitor General for Scotland, Frank Mulholland QC. The prosecution case went beyond the circumstance of Tobin having lived at the two houses in Bathgate and Margate. The evidence also consisted of eyewitness testimony of suspicious behaviour by Tobin at the Bathgate house, and also evidence which destroyed any alibis that he had said at the time. And forensic evidence of DNA and fingerprints left on a dagger found in the Bathgate house and on Vicky Hamilton's purse, and on the sheeting in which her body was wrapped also oh led God. to his conviction. When sentencing Tobin to life imprisonment, a second Again. life imprisonment, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the judge, Lord Emsley, said, you stand convicted of the truly evil abduction and murder of a vulnerable young girl in 1991, and thereafter of attempting to defeat the ends of justice in various ways over an extended period. Yet again, you have shown yourself to be unfit to live in a decent society. It is hard for me to convey the loathing and revulsion that ordinary people will feel for what you have done. My God. I fix the minimum period which you must spend in custody at 30 years. Had it been open to me, I would have made that period run consecutive to the 21 a custodial sentence that you are currently serving okay. so that judge wasn't very happy with him he was not was he <laughs> presumably the 30 years were, was running concurrently rather than consecutively yeah even though he liked it to, to be added on on the 11th of december 2008 so shortly after that conviction and sentencing tobin gave formal notice to court officials that he intended to challenge the guilty verdict and overturned the prison sentence. However, Tobin did not proceed with his appeal, and it was dropped in March 2009. Good. <laughs> a second case came to light as a result of Operation Anagram, and that was the murder of Dinah McNichol. The Dinah McNichol was from Tillingham, Essex, 
and she was last seen alive on the 5th of August 1991. August 91, six months after the disappearance of Vicky Hamilton, six months, give or take, after Tobin moved to To Margate, which is, well, it's Kent. Very close to Essex. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the other side of the Thames, really, Margate and... um, Diana was hitchhiking home with a male companion from a music festival at Liphook, Hampshire. It's Hampshire again, but that's just coincidence, yeah. I think. <laughs> Her friend was dropped off at Junction 8 of the M25 near Rygate. Okay. And she stayed in the car with the driver. And she was never seen again. Mm-mm. After her disappearance, regular withdrawals of £250 are made from her building society account at cash points across the south coast counties of Hampshire and Sussex. So I think the assumption here is that the person that picked up Dinah uh, and her friend was Peter Tobin. So remember that police had been digging up the garden of 50 Irvine Drive in Margate in November 2007. Yes. A few days after they found the remains of Vicky Hamilton, they actually found more remains, they and were. they were confirmed to be those of Dinah McNichol. No way. I mean, he's getting all these summonses now coming thick and fast. On the yeah. 1st of September 2008, the Crown Prosecution Service served a summons on Tobin's solicitors, formally accusing him of Dinah McNichol's murder. And the trial began in June 2009. So he's had a trial in 2007 for Angelica Gluck, a trial in 2008 for Vicky Hamilton, and now in 2009 he's having a trial for the murder of Dinah McNichol. Wow. However, the trial was postponed and the jury discharged in July 2009, the judge ruling that Tobin was not fit to stand trial pending surgery okay the case resumed on the 14th of december 2009 at chelmsford crown court there you go on the 16th of december 2009 after the defense had offered no evidence the jury found tobin guilty of mcnichols murder after deliberating for less than 15 minutes oh wow okay (laughs) And Tobin subsequently received his third life sentence with a recommendation by the judge that his life sentence should mean life. Yeah, quite a dangerous man. Tobin is reported to have claimed 48 victims in boasts made to fellow prisoners while he was serving his sentences. Wow, that is a lot of a lot of people. 48, yeah. So I suspect we'll never know. No, but he was only convicted of the three. He's only been convicted of three, but he was given three life sentences. Yeah. Wow. Tobin did not have very good health, and in 2016 he was admitted to hospital after collapsing in his cell. Then in January of this year, 2022, he was again admitted to hospital. In September, so just last month, a newspaper reported that Tobin was lying chained to a hospital bed and was pictured in a hospital gown, apparently seriously ill. The Sunday Mail said the murderer had cancer and he had fallen and broken his hip. It was said that he was refusing food and medication. And on the 8th of October 2022, he died in hospital. 
last week. Last week. So that's uh, that's kind of the story of Peter Tobin. There was actually mm. just today something that came on the BBC News, in as much as that his ashes have now been scattered at sea by authorities as nobody came forward to claim him. Neither of his sons wanted to claim nope. him. Seemingly not. Seemingly mm. not. So, uh, yeah, just today that uh, popped up. So there you go. That's a very current. There you go. <laughs> true crime story. Yeah. Evil man. Evil, evil man. Yes. Evil man. And it is thought that even though just these three cases have been proven against him, that as, as, as he said, he may have committed up to 48 other murders or a total of 48. And there is speculation that another infamous murderer called Bible John could also have been Peter Tobin. Mm. Well, next week, I will do a bit of a dive into Bible John and we can have a discussion as to whether we think that he could be now that we know the background of Peter Tobin. Yeah, yeah. That would be really interesting. It is quite an interesting story, and there are quite a lot of pictures. And one that particularly interested me was was one of the space under the floor of the church where they found Angelica Klub. Now, when he said that it was in a church and it was found near the confessional, I had visions of like some big sort of Gothic building with a flagstone floor and he'd somehow managed to get a flagstone up and put her underneath or something. But no, <laughs> uh, in the picture, it's like a carpeted floor. Okay. With just a wooden floor underneath the carpet. And there's been like a a chunk of floorboards cut out. Okay. And, and there's just sort of this, this hole, which apparently mm. was something like 18 inches by 24 inches. And there are beams actually going across that space. So the actual gap to get it into must have been quite tiny. But but yeah, I'll put that, uh, I'll put that picture on our social pages. Where will you share them? I'll put that picture and several others onto our Facebook page. Dad and daughter do death. I'll put them onto our Instagram page. At dad and daughter do death. And if you found this story interesting, by all means, look it up. There's plenty of information about Peter Tobin. But you can always contact us to discuss this. By emailing us at dadsanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. So I really look forward to hearing about Bible John and how that fits into the story of Peter Tobin. Well, no longer on this planet, which I don't think many people are particularly sad about. No. Now washed out to sea. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, yeah, thank you for that very interesting story. And I look forward to chatting about Bible John with you next week. Me too. I look forward to that. So join us next time when once again, Dad and daughter do death.